Oh, hello everyone. I want to make sure that when I talk about this episode, future episodes I'm doing, that you hear more of what I think. Um, instead of just reading what other people say and me not sharing enough. So I'm still remembering that constructive criticism that my inner circle has given me regarding the podcast, including slowing down on So, let's begin. The Bible is fiction, a collection of evidence. December 17, 2019, is Similarities to other stories. The similarities between the stories and characters in the Bible and those in the previous mythologies are both undeniable and well-documented. This would be obvious if it weren't for early indoctrination of these beliefs into children, which usually makes them unassailable as adults. In this short piece, I'll attempt to show extraordinary similarities with regard to two of the most important biblical narratives, the Genesis story and the character of Jesus Christ. So let me pause right there and say that this is the first summary of why I am not evangelical fundamentalist Christian anymore. Um, I was taught that when I was younger, but as I did my research, the Jesus story is unoriginal in terms of the Christ phenomenon, so so to speak. And you'll understand more what what I just said as I keep reading and talking. The book of Genesis' flood story mirrors the epic of Gilgamesh from hundreds of years earlier. Here are a number of elements that both Gilgamesh and the flood story in Genesis share. One, God decided to send a worldwide flood. This would drown men, women, children, babies, and infants, as well as eliminate all the land, animals, and birds. The flood myth story I can't reconcile that with a loving God. So that's basically watery genocide. It's water-based, rampage killing, mass killing, serial killing, and mass murdering. That's another reason why I cannot be a church person anymore. Number two, God knew of one righteous man, Ut, Nat, Pishtim, or Noah. First of all, there are plenty of people who are decent people in life. So that's like me saying, I'm the only decent human being in the world. That's bullshit. There are plenty of good ass people in this motherfucking world. So. It's no different than in the biblical times. When Jesus was taken in by families because of allowing the kindness of strangers, there were plenty of good people back then when he was alive. So you mean to tell me that logic is thrown out the window during the alleged Noah's time? I reject that. I reject that premise of one righteous man. To me, that's arrogance 
And to me, that's exaggerated. Okay, I understand that there are plenty of indecent people in the world, but the decent people outnumber the indecent people. That's true today, that's true during Jesus' time, and that's true during the alleged Noah's time. Okay, three. God ordered the hero to build a multi-story wooden ark called a Chesser Box in original Hebrew, and the hero initially complained about the assignment to build the boat. First of all, why didn't God have enough people to help Noah with the ark? How come Noah was the only one to be the most believing in the ark shouldn't there be other people had the same conviction he had you can tell me nobody else had the same convictions as noah i don't believe that that's like there are plenty of people whatever you think other people think it too however passion you are with your thoughts other people will there are plenty of people that would love your passion with your thoughts that could be good that could be bad that could be in between sometimes you do good things sometimes you do bad things in between and it could be bad like okay I want to this is a made up example I don't buy into any of this some people say I don't want poor people to have social programs there are plenty of people that would go yeah or I actually want to help institute programs that help poor people get into entrepreneurship so they can help other people who are poor to be able to have their own businesses too so they can have that form of economic justice a lot there'll be plenty of people that will also go right on so logic should be thrown out the window because we want because they want to, they meaning religious, want to hold on to traditional narratives. There are plenty of people that have, share your convictions during Jesus' time, during Legend Noah's time, and even now in our modern time. Four, the ark would have many compartments. A single door would be sealed with pitch and would house two of every animal species. Where did all the animals come from? How do you have all the animals in a boat? How do you clean up the waste? How do you make sure the animals are medically cared for and cared about? And was there animal sex mating in the boat? How do you accommodate all those animal babies? Was there animal abortion back then? Was there any type of animal dentist, you know, to care for their teeth? And if the animals had sex, how do you keep their noises down when animals tend to be louder than humans? Hmm. 
5, a great rain covered the land with water. 6, the ark landed on a mountain in the middle east. 7, the first two birds returned to the ark. The third bird apparently found dry land because it did not return. 8, the hero and his family left the ark, ritually killed an animal offered as a sacrifice. 9. The Babylonian gods seemed genuinely sorry for the genocide that they had created. The god of Noah appears to have regretted, quote-unquote, his actions as well. Because he promised not to do it again. Okay. Um, there's a lot of things are not adding up. How come we don't see great rains covering the land with water now? And how come... It's not overwhelming history of that happening then. Then the ark land on the mountain in the Middle East. Okay, where in the Middle East? And how come that we're not building arcs today? Um, okay, how come not all the birds were able to be a part of dry land? Weren't an birds are animal species, right? So sitting there birds all be in the ark too and if so how come the third bird didn't return why would they need to return to the ark if you already completed a mission and then eight and if you already completed a mission then why I need to return? Once the mission is over, here is our. Alright. Alright. Eight. The hero and his family left our ritually killed an animal off that sacrifice. Okay, I never understood the Bible's position on animal rights. Because Like I said, I never understood the Bible's position on animal rights. For example, I really feel the need to be In fact, we're going to do this as a singular episode because I can't um, rush any of this. So my question for religion is concerning animal rights. It is, what does God say about animal laws? What does God say on humanoid experimentation? Um, what does God say about fur farms, animal laboratories, the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, animal-like bacteria, These are questions. So why is animal killing okay in Christianity? Makes no sense. Because aren't they being aren't they beings? Like that's why it doesn't make in this animal worship. What is in nature worship? And I never had the Bible talk about that. 
and or sometimes I wonder why do we need to eat animals why can't we have chicken without it coming from chickens can we have the same like can we have protein not from animals these are questions I've been struggling with for years um I've, I've struggled with it you know because I never got a clear position from the church on and they never talk about animal rights ever they never do um but you know animals don't eat us normal well well we do have cannibalism humans eating other humans I never heard the bible talk about that and when they did it was metaphorical and creepy at the same time drinking and eating Jesus' blood and flesh no thanks um yeah and I have more questions about the animal position on animals in the bible um Is it God's will for us to eat them? Is it God's will for us to wear them as clothing? I'm struggling with all of this. Because it would have been much easier to handle the subject of animal rights if the Bible was clear why they fought or against, you know, I... And what does God say about animal protection? And does God, what does, how does God view animals in terms of animals being used for property, used as food, used as clothing, used as research subjects, used as entertainment, used as what is called beasts of burden? What does God have to say about these sensitive matters? And what does God have to say about animal cruelty? Apparently, ritually killing animals are forms of animal cruelty. And then, why would a perfect God have regrets or remorse. You don't need that if you're God. If you're perfect, there's never a regret or remorse that you're going to have or feel. What for? You never fuck up. You never bullshit. You never do anything as backwards. You're never a... a a person who makes somebody catch hell um, and why would you put yourself in a position where you piss yourself off makes no sense keep in mind the level of detail in these similarities it's not a matter of just a flood the specific details three birds sent out resisting the call to build the ark and a single man being chosen by God to build the ark then consider the first story Gilgamesh came from Babylon hundreds of years before the Bible was ever written. Do you honestly think, based on similarities above, that those who wrote the Genesis story had not heard the Gilgamesh story? And if they had heard it and they were simply rehashing an old, very popular tale, what does that say about the Bible? That's what I call a damn good-ass question. And these are damn good-ass points that I fucking agree with. Here we go. Jesus' story is an obvious rehashing of numerous previous characters. Perhaps even more compelling the story of Christ himself. Allegedly. As it turns out, it's not even remotely original. 
It is instead nothing more than a collection of bits and pieces from dozens of other stories that came long before. Here are some examples. Number one, Ash, Ash Clapios healed the sick, raised the dead, and was known as the Savior and Redeemer. Okay, that's what I mean when I say that it's all unoriginal. Jesus story, the myths all borrowed. Or you could say stolen to make it more compelling. Two, Hercules was born of a divine father and mortal mother and was known as the savior of the world. Now there's more Christ stories that preceded Christ in quotation legends. So now you've heard of Asclepios and Hercules. That's two. Number three, Dionysus was literally the quote unquote the son of God, was born of a woman who had not had sex with a man and was depicted riding a donkey. Think about Jerusalem in the Bible story. He was a traveling teacher who performed miracles and was killed and resurrected after which time he became immortal. Remember, that's three. Four, Osiris did the same thing. So he was born of a virgin, was considered the first true king of the people. And when he died, he rose from the grave and went to heaven. That's four. So it's now it's getting worse and worse for the religionists. Number five, Osiris' son Horus was known as the light of the world, the good shepherd and the lamb. He's also referred to as the way, the truth, and the life. His symbol was a cross-like symbol. So religionists have to answer all these questions that these statements are asking. Six, Mirtha's birthday was celebrated on the 25th of December. His birth was witnessed by local shepherds who brought him gifts, had 12 disciples. When he was done on earth, he had a final meal before going up to heaven. On Judgment Day, he'll return to pass judgment on the living and the dead. The good will go to heaven, and the evil will die in a giant fire. Four-letter word, hell, for reference. His holiday is on Sunday. He's the sun god, S-U-N. Think of the sky. His followers called themselves brothers, and their leaders, fathers. They had baptism in a meal ritual where symbolic flesh and blood were eaten. Heaven was in the sky and hell was below with demons and sinners. The fact that we're approaching the double digits is problematic for the religionists. Unlucky number seven for the religionists. Krishna had a miraculous conception that wise men were able to come to because they were guided by a star. After he was born, an area ruler tried to have him found and killed. His parents were warned by a divine messenger, however, and they escaped and was met by shepherds. The boy grew up to be the mediator between God and man. 
So you have the unlucky number three with Dionysus. Now you have the unlucky number seven with Krishna. Number eight. Buddha's mother was told by an angel that she'd give birth to a holy child destined to be a savior. As a child, he teaches the priest in his temple about religion while his parents look for him. He starts his religious career at roughly 30 years of age and is said to have spoken to 12 disciples on his deathbed. One of the disciples is his favorite and another is a traitor. He and his disciples abstain from wealth and travel around speaking in parables and metaphors. He called himself the Son of Man and was referred to as Prophet, Master, and Lord. He healed the sick, cured the blind and deaf, and he walked on water. One of his disciples tried to walk on water as well, but sunk because his faith wasn't strong enough. Peter! So... If you are of conservative theology, you are in... a spiritual crisis at this moment. Nine... Apollonius of Tyana, a contemporary of Jesus, performed countless miracles, healing sick and crippled, restored sight, casted out demons, etc. His birth was of a virgin foretold by an angel, Gabriel. (laughs) He knew scripture really well as a child. He was crucified, rose from the dead, and appeared to his disciples to prove his power before going to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is known as the Son of God. Okay, so that's nine. So there is no double digits to this, but there's nine. Now you got nine problems if you believe in traditional Christianity. The problem, of course, is that these previous narratives existed hundreds to thousands of years before Jesus did. So technically, there's more than nine problems because of that historical fact. Unavoidable contradictions. Not only was the Bible taken largely blatantly from previous stories, but there are contradictions so massive that they defy belief. There are just a few of them. Noah's Ark. The story of the Ark is that a pair of every animal on earth is put on the ship. Forgetting for a second the fact that the story came directly from the epic of Gilgamesh, keep in mind we're being actually believed that two 500-year-old people are caring for tens of thousands of animals, and where did they keep the food? How did they keep the poisonous snakes from biting the other animals? And where did they get the polar bears, alligators, and thousands of other animals that they don't that don't live in the Middle East? Those are the same questions I have for Noah's Ark story. The angel's message. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 says the angel spoke to Joseph. In Luke chapter 1 verse 28 he spoke to Mary. Which was it? And if and if he spoke to both of them, why not just say, hey, the angel spoke to both Joseph and Mary. Different times, different places, but okay, they spoke to each other. If you want to put both, why not just say that? Mary's virginity. The Hebrew word Alma, which people took to mean virgin, actually means young woman of marriage age and there are plenty of indications that Jesus had brothers and sisters so at some point Mary had sex she wasn't a virgin her whole life marriage back then a big part of marriage back then and even now 
is what is called the sense. The senses. The authors of the Bible are trying so hard to get Jesus born in Bethlehem that they craft a story about a census. They say that Joseph had to travel back to his father's homeland in order to register for it. Can you seriously imagine any period, let alone then, asking the entire country to travel back to their father's hometown to register for a census? It's completely impossible. The author of the story put in, put it in there because they needed Jesus born in that city. Plus, historians note that the Romans kept extraordinary records and there wasn't even a census at that time. It's completely fabricated and for obvious reasons. See what I mean? If you're going to say that the Bible is free of contradictions, why are historians and scientists debunking all the myths and and all of the untrue beliefs that are being espoused by Christianity. If all these things about the Bible are true, historians and scientists should easily vouch for what you're saying. And all the theologians would agree on everything the Bible says, which is not the case. Jesus and the family. The Bible says, honor your father and mother, yet Jesus says you must hate your father, mother, wife, children, even your own life to be a disciple. He says to call no man on earth your father. So, Matthew chapter 10. Verses 35 to 37. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Alrighty, I'm already having questions. That's something religion really doesn't encourage. It's great at unanswered questions, unfilled blanks, mysteries, uncertainty, facts, evidence, testing of beliefs hypotheses, gray areas, complexities, contradictions, and the foggy parts of life. So, that was Matthew chapter 23 verse 9. Here we go. God and murder. God says killing is wrong, yet he advocates genocide. And he's a genocidal deity. He's a cis heteropatriarchal deity too. These are all problematic, by the way. So that's Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 through 14. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 7 through 9. Then it says, God and slavery. We all know slavery to be wrong, yet God openly advocates for it. Genesis chapter 17, verse 12. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. Exodus chapter 21, verse 1. Exodus chapter 21, verse 20. Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 10. 
Leviticus chapter 25, verse 24, Luke chapter 7, verse 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 2, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus' heritage. There are two different genealogies for Jesus given in the Bible, and they don't match. One is curiously given through Joseph, which is strange since he's not Jesus' father. Why give a genealogy through someone who isn't related to you? The Passover. It's widely understood that God is supposed to be all-seeing and all-knowing. If that's true, then why do we need people to mark their houses with blood in order to keep from killing their babies inside? Kill your son to prove you love him. God told Abraham to kill his son to prove that he loved God. Abraham raised a knife to him, about to do it, and God called it off. Pleased that he would have done it, does that sound like a moral God to you? This is a tiny sample of the inconsistencies and moral problems with the Bible. There are far more lengthy notes. But don't take my word for any of this. Go to the passages, read the material. It's all there. So, yes. Hating and loving, you can't do both. You can't make life and go, let's kill. So God is not pro-life. In quotations. And God is not pro-life when it comes to any murder is wrong. And God is not pro-life when it comes to slavery. So God, so basically they're saying God is anti-choice and anti-family. But they keep saying that God is pro-family and pro-life. The anti-abortion movement cannot use the Bible for their points of view because even the biblical God's actions and words strongly disagree with their convictions. And as for Jesus' heritage, why have a different amount of people that are related to Jesus? All these big acts. First of all, when you keep saying forgot, 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 it's intellectually boring. Why not just say that when it comes to scripture, name the people that are the most important. You don't have to name it all, all that because it distracts from the importance of the story. Don't put it on necessary details. Put it in necessary details. Like, okay, yeah, we know that people fucking make babies. Not everybody fucks and makes babies, so some people fuck without making babies, obviously, but why not just say, okay, here are the people most memorable. And, you know, keep be relevant, not irrelevant. And as for the Passover, these are the same anti-abortion people that go, babies should not be killed. That's, a, that's what abortion is. Well, apparently... God is okay with babies being killed. First of all, abortion is not murder. That's just wrong. Second, how can you use the biblical God to sanction anti-abortion when God put himself in a, in a self-homicide position? Isn't that how 
anti-suicide people from the religious world with render what suicide is it's this story is so problematic and how can that god be pro-life he didn't stop judas from hanging himself yes one of the jesus disciples actually committed suicide okay why wasn't suicide fully addressed by god in the bible problematic and then kill your son prove he loved me why do I need the end of life to celebrate your life while you're living your life? Mm. Nagging questions. One, how is Jesus crucifixion ultimate sacrifice if he isn't dead? He has been immortal since the beginning of time. He's still alive and immortal today, according to biblical theology. So where's the sacrifice? Two, if Jesus removed our sins with his he above quote-unquote sacrifice, then how come we still have to avoid sin and accept him as our savior to avoid an eternity in hell, which is accomplished? And why is accepting Jesus all about not going to hell? Why isn't accepting Jesus all about the beauty of his Christ-likeness and the wonders of it? That reward and punishment obsession has got to end forever. Okay, and, and why have ulterior motives to an all-knowing God who supposedly hates ulterior motives, but based on what I'm reading, it sounds like God is ulterior motive. Mm. Three, why, yeah, what did it accomplish? What did it accomplish? Again, if Jesus moved our sins with his seed by a sacrifice, how can we still have to avoid sin and accept him as our savior to avoid in hell? What did it accomplish? I keep asking Three, why does the Bible talk constantly about how to manage slaves, how to kill one's enemies, now to avoid making God angry or piss the fuck off, if we will? But there's not much focus at all on seemingly obvious things like thou shalt not harm a child. I agree with Bill Maher's version of the Ten Commandments. It should include the prohibitions of slavery, incest, rape, torture, and child abuse. I'll throw in adult abuse. All those things should have, have prohibition in the commandments. Why are the commandments all about I'm better than you, you're not better than me, and my name is Jehovah? Makes no sense. Senselessness or just plain bullshit, if you will. Alright, number four. I know the ark was supposed to be large, but the world currently has an estimated 8 million. 700,000 species of life form, and you needed two of each? Five, you're getting just the numbers, bro. How did this species that only exists still exist in South America and Antarctica and Australia, etc., all make it to the ark? Six, what's the direct non hand waving explanation for the suffering and death of roughly 9 million children per year in a world supposedly ruled by a kind and loving God? Seven, when Wikipedia can be updated by a random human for billions of people in mere seconds, why has God left his book filled with stories of slavery, rape, and genocide from thousands of years ago? Why not update and revise the scriptures so they can be relevant to all centuries everywhere? The logical conclusion. Many are familiar with Occam's razor, which states that all things being equal, one should not seek complex explanations when 
more simple ones are available. Do you dispute that these other stories predate the Judeo-Christian Bible, or that the Bible is full of massive contradictions, so we really have two main explanations? So it's true, the Bible is full of massive contradictions, and yes, these other stories do predate the Judeo-Christian Bible. One, God created all these stories and characters thousands of years before the Bible in order to trick people and then created new stories and characters that were almost exactly the same. But the version that went into the Bible, even with all the contradictions and immoral teachings, is the actual word of God or two, the Bible was created during a time where stories were orally passed down over thousands of years. Stories constantly morphed and changed over time in the Bible's collection of these. Then why is then this is why it has the nearly identical flood story from Gilgamesh and why Jesus has the same characteristics as Dionysus, Osiris, Horus, Mithra, and Krishna. The contradictions and immorality in the stories are not evidence that God is flawed or evil, but rather that humans invented him, meaning God, just like the thousands of other gods that we used to that we used to but no longer believe in. Mm. Mm. But in the Bible, they make God out to be flawed and evil. And I cannot call the Bible the 100% actual word of God because of everything I just explained and read to you. Now, if you hadn't been taught Christianity since you were a young child, which of these two explanations would make the most sense to you? I would say number two. Notes. One, the goal of this page is not to say God is evil or bad. The point is to show that he, that he meaning God, is imaginary and created by humans and to use the blatantly production and consistency in the moral teaching of the Bible to show that the Bible is false or was written by man. God is not at fault here. There's no reason to believe anything by God is this at all. I mean, that's tough. Um, is God imaginary or real? I go back and forth with myself on that all the time. And if God is real, he's nothing. I'm sorry for saying that. I need to scratch that because it's misgendering. And I don't believe in gendering spirits. My apologies. I'll never do that again. Um, I think that I go back and forth with myself whether God's magic is real. And if God is real, I think that God is nothing like the biblical depictions at all. I mean, I hope science can help us to understand if God is imaginary or real. Um, I don't have a problem with evidence showing that God is real. Um, is is God imaginary or real? I really would like to know. Um, is are the gods imaginary or real? I want to know. And I don't want to believe anything like God exists at all. I want to know anything like God exists at all. I'm past belief. I want knowledge. Knowledge means it's verified. Belief 
it's not completely verified. We're afraid of death, and we do such food to control people. That's why we simply made it all up. Uh, I hope that there's facts and evidence to the existence of any deity or any private figure. I really want to. I'm hungry for that knowledge. Dude, is Jesus original or fake? I want to know. Um, a number of the facts listed above about mythical things that created Jesus are up for debate. Back when I wrote this, I took the content to be factual. I was less careful then, but the truth is that there's much discussion about the details. The important thing to capture from that section that there are popular concepts that created Jesus for hundreds of years that ended up in these stories as well. You can research the details more deeply if you want. I have removed a couple of points already and will be cleaning, up, cleaning it up. Or as I have time, I currently give that section 85% accuracy rating. You know, hey, that's what I like about uh, secular people. Us secular people are willing to prove ourselves wrong, correct our errors. I wish religion were more into that. And this website is a phenomenal resource to show how moral the teachings of the Bible really are. They call it evilbible.com. I'm just giving the notes of what it's written. ReligiousTolerance.org slash Noah's underscore com dot htm compares to the Babylonian and Noah, Noahic blood stories and threes of, you know, he just had a list of far more contradictions and problems with the Bible. So, you know, I share my, okay, written by Daniel Meisler. Daniel Meisler is a cybersecurity leader, writer, and founder of Unsupervised Learning. He writes about security tech and side and is the future New York Times. Wall Street Journal and the BBC. Here are my doubts. And the more I do, the more I talk about these doubts, the more healing I experience. Because I'm not hiding what I've been doubting. And it makes it easier for me to understand Christ likeness and God likeness from secular perspectives. Secular perspectives are a universality of human rights of oneness of high consciousness of Buddha nature of Christ consciousness God consciousness all those things means the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness the gentleness, the faithfulness the generosity, the self-control, the modesty, and the charity that we all can demonstrate to each other, whether we're single or whether we're married. And that's what all those things mean. And uh, thank you for letting me share.